is God, whose very nature is love, able to hate? Well, that's what we're talking about on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for a terrific study in Proverbs chapter 6. Now, as you grab your copy of God's Word and you find your place on the Bible bus, Greg and I have some letters to share from our fellow passengers. That's right, Steve. We love to share the letters because letters represent changed lives. And, yep. of course, nowadays letters means digital posts, and yes. emails, etc. But just one thing before we jump into the stories, because I know you're always anxious to get to let's tell these stories, is this is connected to our annual cycle of the World Prayer Team. Yep. Uh, and what we do in the World Prayer Team is we pray uh, to different countries all around the world, different regions. And then when we hit... Mid-November, we turn to thanksgiving and praise for what God is doing. And that's these letters are all part of that celebration, the year-end celebration. Great. Thank you for that yes. perspective. Let's dive <laughs> Let's in. Let's dive in. Here's a letter from Africa. This is a new brother and sister in Angola. And they speak one of my favorite languages to say. That's right. Umbundu. Here's what they say. <laughs> I am a regular listener. My family was completely transformed through the truth told on this program. Recently, myself and my wife have become born-again Christians. Thank you for pointing us to this new life. And, you know, Steve, one of the things that hits me from time to time as I see the, the testimonies flowing in from around the world is how many people are getting saved listening to Through the Bible. I mean, that is counterintuitive in yes. some ways. Yeah, exactly. Who would listen to a 30-minute program on the Bible yeah. when, when they have no taste for the Bible? It's just going through the Bible, you know, in, in the challenging parts, the boring parts, the exciting parts. So that's just something I think that we want to really praise God for. Now, yeah. this next story is from another language that's a lot of fun to say. I get to say it. It's Kikuyu. Okay. And it says this, God bless you for the Bible teaching programs. My testimony is that the teachings you give us have restored my family. My wife and I were about to divorce. We have some issues on which we do not agree. I used to drink a lot and came home late every day. This created anger in her. She did her best to advise me, but in vain. One of our Christian neighbors recommended to us to listen to the program. We agreed as we had no other solution. After a three-month listening together... We have opted to be transformed by the life of Jesus Christ alive in us. Hmm. Now we live in peace and have confessed our bad attitudes and actions to each other. Thank you for bringing us the word of God that convicts, leads us to Jesus, and restores. Hmm. Wow. That is such an encouragement. The thing I love about this is, first, this this couple is, is reconciled to God yes. through Jesus Christ. And then they're reconciled to each other. It says here, they confessed our bad, we confessed yeah. our bad attitudes and actions to each other. <laughs> yes. So it's just it's a, it's wonderful. a wonderful story of reconciliation. Do you remember that letter we read a few months ago? They said the oil of joy has been re yes. restored. I love that. <laughs> I was thinking of that. So yeah. it happens more than once. And yep. Now, if you're on the World Prayer Team, you'll remember this story from some time ago that Jamal from Morocco shared with us. Here it goes. I'm a carpenter. One day while repairing furniture, I came across a small book about Luke. I asked the homeowner about it. He responded, infidels gave it to me while he was traveling abroad. Something triggered in my heart, but I didn't give it much thought. A week after that, I was sitting browsing through my phone, and I was strangely reminded of the book. So I started browsing for the Bible and Christianity, and a program called Through the Bible caught my ears. I began to focus on it and was surprised by the depth of what I was hearing. I put it aside, and then two months later, I listened again and have never stopped. 
That day, I called the number at the end of the program through your sincere follow-up and patience with my questions and doubts, along with what God was doing in my heart. I knew what I needed to do. I declared that Jesus is Lord, and I asked him to cleanse me from my sin. I am thankful for God's patience with me as I slowly turn to him. I am now a Christ follower, and I cannot wait to see his work in my life. Oh, Greg, we're out of time. (laughs) I know, it's terrible. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just rejoice that you're changing lives all around the world. We pray you'd continue to do that today and in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's Proverbs chapter 6 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, as we come here to the sixth chapter of the book of Proverbs, we put in today at verse 16, and as we suggested last time, we'd be looking at the seven things that God hates. Now, he says here that he hates these things, and I want to zero in on this particular passage. As you've noted, as we've gone along, we zero in every now and then on a particular proverb, or several of them. Now, will you notice what he says here? I'm reading at verse 16, chapter 6 of Proverbs. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Now, here's the list. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, fifth, feet that be swift and running to mischief, sixth, a false witness that speaketh lies, seven, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Isn't that an interesting thing? These are the seven things that God says that he hates. And there's nothing here about using makeup, is there? And there's nothing here about some of the little things that we think are so important today. And these are some of the things that are passed over in the contemporary church. They're just ignored. Now, the interesting thing, though, in the strange language here is, these are things that God hates. Six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. And I take it that if it's an abomination to him, he hates the seventh one also. Now, we ask the question today, does God hate? And the present idea and present conception is that he doesn't. Well, somebody says, after all, isn't one of the definitions of God that God is love? And certainly that's true. And since that is true, then it would be impossible for him to hate. For he's love, and furthermore, when he loves, he couldn't hate at the same time. Well, this type of reasoning, I think, is a bit of sophistry, and certainly it's not satisfactory. They use a philosophical method today known as the syllogistic method of reasoning, and it's a deductive philosophy, and it goes something like this. This is the syllogism. First, there's a major premise. And the major premise is God is love. And the minor premise is love is the opposite of hate. Believe me, those are certainly factual. But notice the conclusion. Then, if both of those are true, God does not hate. Well, the trouble with that is it's a faulty, fatuous, fallacious, and a foolish conclusion. 
because you can move this right over into the human plane, and it actually is impossible to love someone without hating the opposite of that individual, that is, that which would hurt the individual. Let me illustrate that with a homely illustration. You love your child, and by the same token, you hate the fever that's racking the brow of the little one. You hate that mad dog with a frothing mouth that comes into the yard and would bite that little child and kill it. You don't say to that mad dog, here, puppy, puppy, and pat him on the head and tell him to play with your child because you love everything. You're very foolish if you do that. If you love your child, you will hate that mad dog. It just has to be that way. Love always requires the opposite of hate. As long as we live in a world of contrast, you'll have these opposites. And if you love the right, you're going to hate the wrong. If you love sin, you're going to hate righteousness. And the Word of God says to love the good and to hate the evil. When we get to the book of Ecclesiastes, which will be the next in the Old Testament, but we'll pick up a book in the New Testament before we get there, it says there there's a time to love and a time to hate. And someone has put it like this, and this certainly fits into the Proverbs we've had so far. There's a time to part and a time to meet. There's a time to sleep and a time to eat. There's a time to work and a time to play. There's a time to sing and a time to pray. There's a time that's glad and a time that's blue. There's a time to plan and a time to do. There's a time to grin and show you grit. But there never was a time to quit. I think that's rather good, by the way. And I put it in my notes in this first part of this, where he says, don't be lazy, have a plan, be organized, let the lowly ain't teach you. We come now that God loves, but God also hates. And these are the seven beatitudes and the seven things God hates here. We ought to put them on our hate parade. And there are things that God says definitely that he hates. And God doesn't mind saying he hates. In Deuteronomy 16:22, and that was the first time in Deuteronomy that he ever said he loved anybody. And here he says, "...neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth." God says, "...anything you put in my place, I hate. that will take my place." And even in the millennium, that great millennial psalm, Psalm 45, verse 7, it says, "...thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. One follows the other." as the night follows the day. How wonderful it is to notice these things in the Word of God. And God said to the church yonder in the early church in Revelation 2, 6, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And God says, I'll hate them also. God didn't mind saying that he hated certain things. And we have them here. There is, I think, in Scripture, the flavor. The Chinese and European chefs have developed it to a fine art, the sweet and the sour. God is love. By the same token, God is hate. And Scripture adequately states the case. God here labels seven things that he hates. And the seven indicates not perfection, but completeness. This is complete hatred of these things. And these are all of the works of the flesh. 
And these are things that reveal a total depravity and the utter degradation of the human species. And God has gone on record that he hates these things. God denies the thesis of modernism that he's some sentimental and senile old woman who weeps but never works. He shuts his eyes to the sins of mankind. He's tolerant with evil and forgives because he hasn't the intestinal fortitude to punish sin. God says, I love, but God also says, I hate. And this idea today to be charitable, to guilty, because he doesn't have the courage to go through with strong program of punishment. That is the thing that's corrupting and wrecking our society today, not willing to punish the guilty. God says he does. And God is not afraid of public opinion, and he doesn't run from any appearance of offending man because he's a coward. God says by no means he'll clear the guilty. His laws are inviolate and inexorable. Now let's look at this ugly and hateful brood. It belongs now on the hate side of the ledger. Will you notice it? Number one on God's hate parade is a proud look. And the literal is eyes of loftiness. What is this? Well, this is this attitude that overvalues self and undervalues others. This is pride. Just to sit in church and to take a look back at somebody else that you're better than they are. Just that little look and turn of the face, the flash of the eye, that proud look. God says, I hate it. And God says, here, it's number one. He puts it ahead of drunkenness. He puts it ahead of murder. God says, I hate this thing. Ooh, my, in church today, you could get by with a proud look and nobody would say anything to you. But did you know that the first overt act of sin in heaven, original sin, was that of pride. It was when Satan, that angel of the morn that said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He is the one that said to man in the garden of Eden, ye shall be as gods. It's quite interesting today that back of all psychological disturbances and psychosomatic disease is the trunk of a tree from which all abnormalities spring. You know what that is? a lack of being a complete personality. I want to be somebody. I want to have certain status symbols. And one of these is to declare my independence of God. Be my own God. My little self is God. That's the reason that a work salvation today appeals. A little man likes to say, well, I'm going to work out my salvation. I'll do it myself, and I don't need you, God, and I certainly don't need to have your son die for me. I'll work this out myself, and when I come into your presence, I want you to move over because I'm going to sit down by the side of you. I am as good as you are. That is the thing that a little man today that's psychologically sick will say. May I say a work salvation is a result of folk that are psychologically sick today. And God says here, you can't declare your independence of me. You can't be your own God. God says, I resist the proud. 
He hath respect unto the lowly. He says, I'll bring down high looks. And you remember back in the book of Job, in Job 40, verse 12, look on everyone that is proud and bring him low. That's what God says that he's going to do. And you remember the Beatitudes in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. And here, God says, I hate the proud look. Here are the seven Beatitudes of what God hates. And in Psalm 131.1, the psalmist said, Lord, my heart's not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Oh, to take a lowly place and say, Oh, God, I'm weak. I can't make it. You see, today, men psychologically adopt all of this phony stuff. I saw a young man the other day walk in among a other group of young men. And he's a big, swaggering baby boy is what he is. But he wants to be accepted of his peers. And so he walks in, he looks around, and he begins to curse like a sailor. And I said, poor little fella, what a poor little baby he is, trying to make himself acceptable. Why not go before God and tell the truth? A Lord... My heart's not haughty. Mine eyes are not. I, I don't want to make claims that are not genuine. I don't have any righteousness. May I say to you, that's when you become a real full-fledged personality, when you go to God for his salvation. Now listen again to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 66 too. For all those things hath mine hand made. This is God speaking. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. You're willing to come on that basis. God's willing to receive you. God says he hates a proud look. Then he says he hates a lying tongue. Have you ever noticed that there's more said about the tongue and the abuse of it than is said about the abuse of alcohol in the Bible? And this is something that's common to all races and all languages. You talk about a tongues movement. There is a big tongues movement today. And you know what that is? That's the lion tongue. And I tell you, it's something that is a tragic thing. Remember the psalmist said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. And old Dr. Carroll used to say in class, he said, you know, I've had a long time to think it over. And I still agree with David. Well, I'll have to admit, I'll agree with David. The psalmist again says, Psalm 122, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Well, there's more people today that they want to get rid of the guns. You know, they say, if we get rid of guns, well, we'll get rid of murder. The most dangerous thing in the world is the tongue today. More people have their reputation slashed and murdered. The fact of the matter is... I'd like to see a movement on to let people keep their guns because no use taking guns away from honest folk. They're not going to use them to kill anyone. And they need protection from the gangster that's not going to register his gun, that is for sure. But I would like to see a movement today to maybe to get rid of the tongue, maybe put a zipper on the lips or something like that. This thing of the lying tongue, God says he hates it. And God is truth, by the way. And God hates the lie. God desires truth in the inward parts, he says. How wonderful. 
And the psalmist again says in Psalm 31, 5, "...into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth." How wonderful. Then the third thing God says he hates, "...hands that shed innocent blood." This is repeated in Romans 3. A murderer is particularly odious and objectionable both to God and man. Now, the difference is just simply this. God says the murderer should be punished. Why? Because he took that which God says is sacred, human life. This idea today that all human life doesn't become precious till somebody's been shot down and the murder brought up, then the murderer's life is precious. God says the human life is precious. And when that man shot that man down or killed him, then he should forfeit his life. That is the teaching, I believe, of the Word of God. It's as I see that today. Now he mentions the fourth thing, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, thoughts of iniquity. And I think all men have evil thoughts out of the heart. You remember the Lord Jesus said, proceed certain things. And believe me, it's an ugly brood that come out of the human heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And by the way, have you ever confessed what you have in your mind and in your heart? We need to do that. The anatomy of evil and iniquity. Eyes, tongues, hand, heart, and the next are going to be feet. Notice this. Feet are quick to run to mischief. You know, the heart blazes the trail that the feet will follow. It's quite interesting that Isaiah put it like this, Isaiah 59, 7. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their past. These are the things God says he hates. And the sixth thing is a false witness that speaketh lies, a man that's willing to perjure himself. And today... That seems to be one of the common sins of the present time. Now will you notice here the seventh and the last. And he that soweth discord among brethren. And there's a beatitude over against that. Blessed are the peacemakers. And there are those today sowing discord. And they're not all in Russia or China or in other places today where we think that they make war. It's in your neighborhood. The chances are it's in your church. Now, this is a hateful brood here. You know, we squirm when we see ourselves as in a mirror here, and that's what this does. May I say to you, just take a good look at yourself in this mirror of the Word of God. It may be that you and I, the one listening today and the one speaking today, may need to go to God and make a confession of these things. Now he goes on, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now this man is grown. He's become a grown man. He's gone away to school. But don't forget what your father taught you, your mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. These are things that the young man now is to keep before him. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. 
Now he comes back to this. That is a great sin today. And that is this matter of adultery, the sex sins. Verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. And now he's going to discuss this in probably a little different way than he has before. And we'll have to, of course, save that till next time. But I would like to remind you that the book of Proverbs are not just little idle, catchy phrases, you know. They're not just sententious sentences, but actually these are great truths that God wants to place in your heart and my heart. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. To listen to these studies in Proverbs again or to share them with a friend, just head over to ttb.org. And remember, you can always call us as well at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find a way that works for you. Again, that's ttb.org or 1-800-65-BIBLE. And it was great having you on the Bible bus today. I know I'm always grateful for the good company and the good teaching. Why don't you invite someone you care about to hop aboard with us next time? I'll save you both a seat. Our journey on the Bible bus today is supported by the prayers and gifts of fellow passengers as we travel through the Bible.